All right, we have been uh, studying through the Gospel of Mark. We've come to the 10th chapter. We're the last part of the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So we're uh, right to the very last week of the life of Jesus. And what we've seen so far in Mark, Mark is that uh, uh, abbreviated story of the life of Jesus. Uh, Luke gives us a lot more detail. Matthew gives us some more detail. John gives us a lot more information uh, in other ways. But Mark is kind of the Reader's Digest version of the life of Jesus. And what we've seen back in the very beginning, we see Jesus coming to John the Baptist and being baptized and then going out immediately into the wilderness to uh, deal with uh, Satan's temptations and overcome all of those. And then to come back in the power of the Spirit of God and he begins to teach and to heal his words and his works, his words and his works. And he teaches some amazing, amazing uh, things. And then he, he does some incredible miracles. He heals people who are lame. He heals people who are blind, who are deaf. And he uh, 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 walks on the water. He calms the storm. Uh, he casts out demons. Just all these marvelous, marvelous works uh, to emphasize that he's who he says he is. He's the Son of God. And uh, along the way, in these first nine and a half, ten chapters, uh, he picks up some followers. He selects 12 to be his close friendship, uh, friends and disciples. And then a lot of other people follow him too. A lot of people, they're hearing about what's going on. And it's the common people. That's what I like. I, I like, you know, somebody says... Uh, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln, or maybe it's Mark Twain, said, God must love the common people. He made so many of them. And really, he did. I love the common people because I, I, I are one. And uh, I like the fact that Jesus did not cater to the rich and the famous and the celebrities and the, the religious uh, elite, all this kind of stuff, political elite. He just came to us. <laughs> And he just was, he was loved by the common people. The Bible says that the common people heard him gladly. So he had a lot of people who were interested in what he was saying, and they were amazed by what he was doing. And, of course, we would be too. But he also picked up some uh, uh, very, very serious enemies. Those who were the religious leaders of the of Judaism hated him the priests because he basically was coming to put put an end to the priesthood he was saying that that all of God's people are priests you're a priest I'm a priest we're a priest and uh and he was coming to really to declare that the temple which was the center of their whole life, was going to be destroyed. And by the way, it was destroyed. About 30 years, 40 years after Jesus rose from the dead, the Romans came in and absolutely destroyed the temple, tore it down brick by brick, stone by stone, destroyed it. And he was coming to say, you don't really need a temple because... In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God had a temple for His people. But under the New Covenant, God has a people for His temple. 
We are the temple of God. And so he was teaching some stuff that just absolutely raised the hair on the back of the necks of all these Jewish leaders. They absolutely hated him. And they did everything they could begin to move in a direction to put an end to Jesus. And so that's what we've seen up through uh, chapter 10. He, uh, and he began to say to his disciples while he was up at Caesarea Philippi, he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And the disciples, nah, nah, that can't happen. And Simon Peter uh, took him aside and said, No, Lord, you, you're mistaken about all that. And, uh, and then a second time, Jesus told them again what it was going to happen. And then the third time, we looked at this last week, he made it clear that the Son of Man, that Jesus, the, mess, the Messiah, was going to be, as he goes to Jerusalem, he was going to be turned over, he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be turned over to the Gentiles, that is to the Romans, and that he was going to be flogged, he was going to be spat upon, he was going to be beaten, and he was going to be crucified. But he said, on the third day, I'll rise again. He told them that all three times. No matter what he told them about his what he was coming, uh, he always concluded it. Sunday's coming, and the resurrection, I'll rise from the dead. But they just couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, it's hard for them to believe. So now, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And uh, I'll show you a little map of the Holy Land at the time of Jesus, and just show you uh, Jesus, uh, by the way, you know, Jerusalem, right here, this is uh, the capital city. By the way, it's up on top of a high, high mountain. So any time in the Bible it talks about people going to Jerusalem, it always said they went up to Jerusalem. And if they were in the north, they went up to Jerusalem. If they were in the south, they went up to Jerusalem. If they were the east or the west, they went up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was up. It was up on the high mountain. And so <clears throat> Jesus has been up in Galilee, up in the very top part up there, and, and he's, he's crossed the Jordan River. He's come down through the area of Perea. And then he comes and he crosses the river and comes to Jericho. Now, when we go to Israel sometime, if we were to land our airplane in Jordan, over in Amman, Jordan, and then went into Israel, you would cross the river at Jericho. You would cross the river. You'd come across, right in here, you'd cross the Allenby Bridge, and uh, that's where they almost took my wife's Twix bars away from her. Uh, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, when they go on a trip, they carry lots of uh, important stuff. She carried a whole suitcase full of Twix bars, and uh, I thought they were going to confiscate them there at the Allenby Bridge. But uh, but we made it across with them. And, uh, and you come across the river, and the very first town that you come to is Jericho. Now, old Jericho, Old Testament Jericho, is actually closer to the river. And when you go there, 
Of course, that city was destroyed and, uh, and said it would never be rebuilt. You remember that from the Old Testament. But then they did rebuild Jericho, but it was on another, another location, closer to, uh, it was a little bit further inland. So this is where Jesus is when this story takes place. Now, Jericho, it'd be fun to just tell you a whole lot of information about Jericho, but <clears throat> I'm not going to do that. I'll just tell you this, that uh, it's considered to be the oldest city on earth. If you read about Jericho, they'll say it is the oldest city on earth. I don't know how they come to that, but uh, <clears throat> it's certainly one of the oldest. It's been around a long, 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 long time. And uh, it, was, uh, it was destroyed. The original city was destroyed when the walls came tumbling down. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And the walls come tumbling down. Y'all want to sing that? No, nah, we won't. Right? But uh, uh, and then uh, and then Jericho was also the place where little short Zacchaeus lived, and uh, that was when he came to know the Lord. But this story, this is in the last week of the life of Jesus. I mean, about nine days before he's going to be crucified, and uh, he's uh, on his way. Up to Jerusalem, that's where he's headed to have happened to him what he's told all these people is going to happen. And he comes to Jericho, and as he is leaving Jericho, in fact, now let's look at the text in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. By the way, this is the last miracle healing miracle that Jesus is going to perform unless you count the healing the ear of the high priest servant that was cut off. I guess that's, we, 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 I'd consider that a miracle. But this is the last uh, healing of a disease or something like that before Jesus gets to, to Jerusalem. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. By the way, Jericho was a place where thousands of priests lived. Uh, The priests in Israel served. They had 24 different courses of serving in the temple. And when the priests were not serving in the temple, they, many of them, most of them, actually lived in the town of Jericho. So it was a, a city filled with priests and so uh so he was leaving jericho with his disciples and a great crowd and bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of timaeus that's what bar timaeus means bar is the word for son bar timaeus the son of timaeus was sitting by the roadsides now here's this blind beggar and we don't know whether he was blind from birth or if he had gone blind. I tend to think he had gone blind because later he's going to ask Jesus to recover his sight. So that would make me think that he had been able to see at one time and then due to a disease or maybe an accident or something, he had lost his eyesight. And uh, and I tell you, when uh, in, in ancient Israel, 
when you lost the ability to work and make a living, there was no Social Security. There was no SSI. There was no uh, uh, any kind of government assistance. And you just had to beg. You had to depend upon the goodness and generosity and compassion of other people. And this blind Bartimaeus has sits by the roadside day after day after day with his little cup or plate or something. And just as he hears people coming by, he's pleading, alms, please, can you help a blind beggar? And there were probably some people who gave him a little something every week or every day. And there were others who would pass by and perhaps give him something from time to time. And that's the way he lived. When he went to bed at night, all he saw was blackness. And when he woke up the next morning, all he saw was blackness. And at noontime, when the sun was at its brightest, all he saw was blackness. And he lived his life in blindness and in darkness. And so he's sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and by the way, he had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Everybody had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They had heard about the marvelous things he was doing, the great things he was teaching. They had heard about the people that were following him and the people who hated him. And so when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. And the Greek word there for cry out is the word that means to scream at his loudest voice. I mean, he's not just uh, saying, help over here. He's like, Jesus! Son of David! Wow. And he said, it's rough on my throat. He said, have mercy on me. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. And, uh, and many rebuked him. They're saying, shh, hush, man. Telling him to be silent. But he screamed even louder. And I'm not going to do that. But he just screamed at the top of his voice even louder. And they're trying to get him to be quiet. And he's screaming, Son of David. And the Son of David is a messianic term. It's a term that, that indicates that Bartimaeus believed that Jesus was the descendant of David who would actually sit on the messianic throne. He believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And so he screamed, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus calls Bartimaeus and says, come to me. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. I mean, try to picture this. This guy's sitting there by the roadside begging, got covered up with a coat, and, and he throws that coat off, and he jumps up, and he came to Jesus. Obviously, somebody probably had to lead him, or maybe he just followed the sound of the crowd that he came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? 
That's an interesting question. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I want to see. I used to be able to see. I've lost the ability to see. Please let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. That's just a great, great account, isn't it? I don't know that I have to preach much on that, do you? That's why you say, no, you can quit now. Okay, well, I'm not going to quite quit. But here, <clears throat> Barnabas, this blind beggar, acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, and he cries out for mercy. Now, I'm telling you what, I see myself in this story. There was a time when I was blind, not physically blind, but I was spiritually blind. There was a time when I was uh, without the ability to see the glories of God, without the ability to see the grace of God, I was blind in my sin. And the Spirit of God brought me to a place where I realized that I was in a pitiful condition and a helpless condition and really a hopeless condition. And I remember very well the night that I cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. I need some help. I, I don't know how to love. I don't know how, to, how to, to overcome temptation. I don't know how to resist sin. And I don't know how to have peace in my heart. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And he did. That very night, he did. He opened my eyes, and he gave me new life. He raised me from the dead, and he gave me his kind of life. And this man refused to be silenced. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of voices in our world today that tell us not to call on God for help. There are a lot of voices, some of them from the inside, many of them from the outside, Tell us that, you know, uh, you can do it. You don't need God's help. The truth is we do. And uh, to Bar Bartimaeus' uh, credit, he realized that apart from Jesus doing something for him, he was destined to live the rest of his life as a blind beggar. And he says, have mercy on me. He refused to be silenced. And then Jesus said, call him. Bring him to me. Do you know that uh, there is in theology a thing called the effectual call of God? It is that every person who is a Christian at some point in time Jesus called them. God called them. The Bible says nobody can come 
to Jesus unless the Spirit calls him, draws him. And uh, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, there was a day, there was a time, you may not even remember it, may not have realized it was happening in this way, but there was a time in which God's Holy Spirit called you and said, come, come to Jesus. And he enabled you to come, and he wrought faith within your heart, and you came. It's just like when uh, uh, Lazarus was in the grave when he was in the tomb. All of his family had given up any hope. They had even said, Jesus, if you'd have just gotten here on time, you could have healed him. There's no hope for him now. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, oh, he's out here in the tomb. He said, take me to it. They went out there, and he said, now roll the stone away. And they protested. Well, Lord, it's been four days. By now, his body's begun to decompose. He, uh, he, the smell will be terrible. He's already rotting. He, he stinks. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. And the Bible says they rolled the stone away. And I love this. It said, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. That's what you call being called. <laughs> he called him by name. Somebody said that the reason he said Lazarus come forth, because if he had just said come forth, all the dead folks in the whole county would have got up. I don't know about that, but I do know that he called him by name. Lazarus, come forth. And everybody stands there looking at Jesus, and they must have thought, he's lost his mind. Until somebody gasps, and they look over at the doorway of the tomb, and there stands a mummy, all wrapped up in grave clothes, hand and feet, face, and he's standing there. By the way, we had opportunity to go into the tomb of Lazarus when we were in Israel. And it's not just a cave. It actually is a, a hole in the, a cave, and there are about seven steps going down to it. And I tried to picture, in fact, I, I did this. I pretended I was Lazarus, and I thought, now my feet are bound up. How am I going to get up those steps? And there I was, just kind of everybody watching me, and I'm going. And Lazarus was just hopping up those steps till he gets to the cave entrance. Mary and Martha and all the other people standing there pass out or, or took off running. I don't know, what, what would you have done? And then Jesus, now, unwrap him. Take off all those old stinky grave clothes. And let him go. And they did. Now, <clears throat> I see that as a picture of salvation. We're dead, 
Jesus calls us. We come out. Lazarus was alive, but he was still bound up. And you know, when somebody gets saved in our churches, they still maybe have a lot of grave clothes on them, but they're as alive as they'll ever be spiritually. And our job as the church is to help unwrap all the grave clothes, get them free, help them understand what it means to be alive and able, okay? So he called him. And then Jesus said, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Now, I used to read that and think, well, Jesus, that was kind of a silly question. But it really wasn't a silly question. He could have said, Jesus, I need a C&I dog. Or could I get a cane? I guess Jesus wanted to know, what, what is it you really want? And by the way, Steve Lawson, the favorite preacher of mine, said, really? Bartimaeus gave the wrong answer. He said, what he should have said was, Jesus, what I want more than anything else is to have all my sins forgiven and to have eternal life. I don't know whether Steve Lawson's right there or not because apparently Jesus knew that this was in the heart of Artemis, even if he didn't say that. But he said, the immediate need that I have, Jesus, I, I want to be able to see again. I want to recover my sight. So he made a specific request, and then Jesus, seeing the faith in Bartimaeus. It wasn't even the request. It was the fact that Bartimaeus truly believed that Jesus could give him his sight. Because Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, your faith. Because you believed in me as the Messiah, and Isaiah had said that Messiah would do just what Jesus was going to do the next week, would suffer and die and rise from the dead. Because of your faith, you're healed. And he gave him his sight. And then it says, that Bartimaeus, he didn't go home. He didn't go off and tell other people. I, I, I often wonder, you know, what about his family? Surely he'd want to let them know he could see now. But it just says he followed Jesus. He recovered his sight, and he said, Jesus, wherever you're going, I'm going. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. Word will get back to my family and my friends that I can see now, but I'm going to stay close to you. And as far as we know, he was with Jesus right up until the very end, and he may have been even at the cross 
because there were some who followed Jesus all the way to the cross, even though his disciples didn't, most of them. It may be that Bartimaeus was right there. The application I make of all this is that this is a very, very practical story, a very applicable story. All of us have certain needs in our life, spiritual needs for sure. And Jesus says to us, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And really, I think Steve Lawson is right. Our greatest need is not physical. If Jesus were to come to you today, right now, and say, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Would you say, well, Jesus, I really need a job. That's important. Would you say, Jesus, I, I, I really need a car. My car is just about on its last leg. Or would you say, Jesus, I, I need uh, one of my kids are sick, and I, I want them to get well. I don't know what you'd say, but I'll tell you what we ought to say. is Jesus, what I need more than anything in the world is a a a better sense of union with you, to know you better, to follow you more closely. And I tell you, that request, Jesus will never turn down if you believe. Any questions, comments? Can you think of other application to make in your life for this story? Such a beautiful story. This man who was helpless and practically hopeless. Oh, he could have eked out an existence for a while, but he couldn't recover his sight. And we can manage to muddle through in life, but we can't have abundant life apart from Jesus. But here's the wonderful thing to all those who will call upon him. All those that will call to him and depend upon him and trust in him. He said, I will answer. I will give you what you really need. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful and true story of a blind beggar who found mercy and healing and salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will help us to be unashamed, to cry out our dependence upon you. Help us to be willing to come quickly as you call us. And then help us, Father, to follow, to follow, to go where you lead us and be able to say wherever Wherever he leads, I'll go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person 
and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.